0: So whenever you go to a restaurant, they'll ask you red or green. And for the locals, I guess they know that that means red or green chili. But for someone like me, when I first came here, they asked me red or green. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Apparently, if you want to get both red and green chili on your meal, then you say, I want Christmas.
1: Hi, I'm Zoe Ye, a human being who failed to live a conventional life. I have a deep interest in people and their choices of life. In my podcast, I'll be having conversations with individuals who are open to talk about their mental journeys in life. This season is called My Mental Journey of Migration. Eight guests will share their experiences of living in different cultures. Today we have our guest James.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm James. I am living currently in Socorro in New Mexico in the USA. My original um country that I came from is United Kingdom, where I lived in London and in Cambridge. So I'm currently living in a town called Socorro, um, which is a very small place in the very center of New Mexico. New Mexico is a state that is in the southwest of the United States, in between Arizona, Texas and Colorado, and just north of Mexico.
1: Is it a very big city or a very small town?
0: It's very small. I think it has maybe 10,000 in population. So it's a different experience from London, that's for sure.
1: What made you want to go there and actually work there?
0: So I came here partly because I was studying for a PhD um, in the UK. And for that work, I was designing an instrument to be deployed at an observatory. And it happens that this observatory is in New Mexico, close to Socorro. Uh, Because it's a good place for building observatories like this. Because as I say, it's a small town. There's very little light pollution in the area. But also the state of New Mexico is at altitude. So that means that you can build your observatory in a place where the atmosphere isn't so damaging to the observations that you make.
1: So it sounds like you're observing something related to light, right? Because you mentioned light pollution.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So we are building telescopes to collect light from stars. And this is the same wavelengths of light that you can see with your eyes, but also infrared wavelengths, which you can't see.
1: Wow. Have you visited this city before?
0: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to be able to come here twice in 2019. So that was part of my PhD research. I came to deploy some prototypes of the instrument I'm developing. So that was kind of an eye-opening experience. First time I'd been to the US properly. First time being in sort of a desert environment. The first time being at altitude.
1: When you said you visited the U.S. properly this time, when was the last time you visited the U.S. improperly? And where did improperly, you
0: Improperly, Improperly, I went to Disneyland with my parents. That's in Florida. So that was in 2001, I think.
1: That's a long time ago when you were still very, very young.
0: Yeah, so I don't have too many memories of that. And obviously I wasn't immersed in the culture in the same way as I am now.
1: I'm sure you can just find another job in... London or um, Cambridge, why did you choose Socorro? Why couldn't you do this just in the UK?
0: Good question. I guess when you're trying to work at an observatory, it's important to be present there so that you can do all the practical work. What I found when I came for visits, which were maybe two or three weeks at a time, is that you never get as much achieved as you need to within the time available. There's always problems that you encounter. And coming for just short periods of time isn't as successful as coming for a longer period of time. Just because you'll run into so many problems that you didn't anticipate before you came for the trip.
1: So it sounds like you came to Socorro because you really want to make this instrument work. And how is the progress of your instrument?
0: Progress is always too slow for my liking, but I think we're getting there now. So the important thing is that we have funding to do it. In research, it's always difficult to have secure funding to let you do the big science projects that you you want to do. So that's, that's the first hurdle. But now that we have the funding, I think I'm making good progress in designing and implementing things. In my office at work, I've got lots of cardboard boxes that are now full of parts that I've bought that will go into the instrument. So soon I'll be able to assemble it and it'll be a real thing sitting on the desk, having toiled over this for six or seven years.
1: That sounds cool. You come to observatory and really need to work with the materials by hand. So that's why you couldn't do it in Cambridge.
0: Correct. I mean, I could have done it in part in Cambridge. So during my PhD, I designed and tested things in the labs in Cambridge. Yeah, I think at some level you can do the practical work in a lab that's not at the observatory and then just ship the instrument to the observatory later. But the trouble there is that you're doing all the testing for an environment at the observatory in a lab. So you're trying to recreate the temperatures and the conditions, the other conditions that you get at the observatory in the lab. Whereas when you're actually working at the observatory, you don't have to worry about generating the conditions because the conditions are already naturally there.
1: Yeah, You mentioned that the condition in Socorro is... Desert environment and high altitude, and that's perfect for the instrument. What do you feel when you move here physically? Of course, your instrument will be happy, but are you happy about moving to a desert environment with high altitude?
0: Yeah, that's something I ask myself every day. Am I happy with the choice that I've made? Wow, tell me more. <laughs> so, for the altitude thing, I can say that I am a runner, so I like to run distances of five kilometers or more. And I was interested in finding out if by moving to a place with high altitude, I would improve the performance of my running. Because it's a well known fact that many professional athletes choose to train in high altitude environments so that their red blood cell count increases and they have better oxygen capacity when they run at sea level for competitions. So I thought in the back of my mind, Maybe if I choose to live here for one year, two years, three years, then I will be able to return to the UK and I'll be a superhuman. I'll be able to run faster than I ever could for longer than I ever could. So I'm excited to see if that theory has panned out. For now, all I can say is that when I run here, I feel like I want to die because get so exhausted running even short distances at a slow speed. Because I, th- I think the, um, the air pressure is maybe 90% of the pressure at sea level. So get, I guess you're getting 90% of the oxygen you would get at sea level. So you're having to work harder to, to run the same speed and distance. And it's even worse at the observatory, where I think the pressure is 70%. The
1: observatory will be on top of the hills or mountains. Exactly,
0: exactly. So the, the town that I live in is at 1,500 metres, and the observatory is at 3,000 metres.
1: Wow. So. And what would that affect for your cooking?
0: Cooking also changes things because I also like to bake. I bake cakes and cookies and things. And it turns out that you need to actually adjust your cooking times and the temperatures to factor in for the altitude and the low pressure. So I've actually burnt a few cakes and burnt a few cookies trying to figure out what the optimum times and temperatures are. But I'm getting there.
1: I I remember you're a foodie. And how is American food, especially the food in New Mexico?
0: I'm enjoying the food in New Mexico. So in New Mexico, they have something called chili, which is a sauce that you apply to all sorts of food. It's a spicy sauce made from chilies, and it comes in the red or green varieties. So whenever you go to a restaurant, they'll ask you red or green. And for the locals, I guess they know that that means red or green chili. But for someone like me, when I first came here, they asked me red or green, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Apparently, if you want to get both, red and green chilli on your meal, then you say, I want Christmas, because Christmas colours are red and green. I like this. So I've ordered Christmas once. It was actually really spicy and I didn't enjoy my meal, so (laughs) I don't think I'll do that again. I can handle spicy food up to a point, not a double dose. And I mean, here people will have it for any meal of the day, so I think I was having it for breakfast.
1: Wait a second, what kind of breakfast do they serve and they offer you red or green? Or
0: Christmas? My favourite meal to have here is huevos rancheros, which is a very hearty dish based on fried eggs on tortillas, served with beans, cheese and lots of chilli.
1: That's for breakfast.
0: That's for breakfast. It's probably more than a thousand calories. I find it actually very efficient because it's not only breakfast, but also it serves as my lunch because I don't need to eat until the evening.
1: Wouldn't that be a little bit interesting or strange for you? You know, I am Chinese. We Chinese have hot breakfast in the morning.
0: I don't think so, because in the UK we have the full English breakfast, which is kind of similar. It's a very hearty meal. It's savory, it's hot. It doesn't have spice in it, but I think I'll find when I go home to the UK, they'll be adding some sort of chili sauce to my full English breakfast. I'm addicted now.
1: Wouldn't you feel a little bit bored if everything is added with the same sauce?
0: If everything is maybe, but they also come in different varieties. I think a lot of it's made locally here, so there are differences based on who has made it. I don't know if they're brands or if they're just like local farmers who bring their chili to a market to sell.
1: So you have a marketplace that you can go. Yeah, there
0: is a farmers market, and people have sort of vegetable stands in some, certain places. Is that a new experience for you? Personally. Haven't used farmers markets very much. I don't really use them so much here either because they're just so expensive. It's maybe five times as expensive as in the supermarket.
1: Five times? That's a huge difference.
0: Yeah. But I guess that's the price you pay for things that are produced organically and ethically.
1: That makes sense. But the difference really shocked me.
0: Yeah, I've got into a situation in the farmer's market where I'm interested in buying something. Then I ask the person how much it costs. It takes my breath away when they tell me. Then I feel like I've committed to buying the thing. So I gradually give them the money. But I I tend to only buy maybe one thing when I go to the farmer's market because I can't afford to buy anymore.
1: That makes sense. Maybe you can tell us how did you find your first accommodation in Socorro?
0: So I was lucky when I first moved to Socorro because I was able to live with a colleague who was renting a house here. So when I first came, at least I had a place to go. I stayed there for about two months or so while I was settling in. Then I had to find a place of my own, which was a bit challenging because, well, it turns out in this part of the world that people don't use the internet so much for advertising property. I didn't see anything available on the usual sort of property websites
1: as a londoner probably you already so used to using the apps and websites to search for properties
0: exactly yeah so using that you can see pictures of the house you can see what it has in terms of the amenities the online platform makes it really easy and you feel more confident about the place you're going to live in but here i had to basically find this place that i'm living in now by word of mouth So it's all about who you know here. If you know the right person, then they'll put you in contact with someone who is renting a house or selling a house. Then you can arrange to get a viewing from them.
1: What kind of house are you living now?
0: So I'm currently living in a three-bed house. Much bigger than I would have liked, because I'm just an individual living here. I didn't really know what I was going to do with three rooms. Given that in the past, I have compressed my life pretty much into just one room. (laughs) Having this extra space is a new experience. It was cosy, that's why. To say. But now I have so much space I don't really know what to do with it. I've turned one room into a guest bedroom for when friends visit. I've turned one room kind of into a study with a desk and a computer. I've got a living room as well, which I'm also populating with sofa and I've got a projector, which is which is interesting.
1: I would imagine it will cost you a lot of money to fill up that space. What's your plan there?
0: Yeah. I think it's not as expensive as I thought it was gonna be, so If you buy furniture from some shops, then it's cheaper, much cheaper than others. So for example, for Ikea, the furniture is reasonably expensive, but you also have to pay $300 for delivery, whereas the shops that I have been trying to buy from offer free delivery, and they're maybe half the price of Ikea. So I feel like I've got some good deals for buying the furniture that I have already. And also, actually, my landlord sold me desk and a dining table and some chairs for less than a hundred dollars for everything
1: that's nice but i heard that you don't have a washing machine how do you handle your laundry
0: i do not yet have a washing machine so that's a new experience as well everywhere i've lived in the past had a washing machine inside the house but here it seems that people either go to the local laundromat and do their washing there or they have to buy their own washing machine to install in the house And I have so far been too lazy to find, well, to either go to the laundromat or to buy a washing machine. So I have been hand washing all of my clothes in the bathtub.
1: How long have you been doing that?
0: For, well, the first two months I was living in the place with a colleague, I had access to a washing machine. So I wasn't doing it then, but I was, well, as soon as I moved to my new place, I had to start doing that. So I guess that's been two months, three months now.
1: If I remember correctly, there was a time you didn't have internet, you didn't have light. And in the darkness, you were trying to wash your clothes in your bathtub. That okay. image just stick with me for as long as I can remember. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a bit extreme. There, there was light. Okay, it's I, not, it was it's, light. Not, it's not completely unequipped in this house. So I did have a light. It's true that I didn't have internet for a while. And I still struggle these days with internet because I can't get a land connection to my house. So I'm relying on the mobile internet connection. And that means that I have a, a data cap every month, which I haven't had to live with in the past before.
1: How do you call your friends and family? How are you calling me now?
0: Calling is actually not too bad. As long as you don't use the video, your audio calls don't use that much data. But it means that I can't stream movies watch. If, I'm, if I want to watch a movie on a Saturday night, then I can't do that because it'll pause every 30 seconds and buffer. So I guess I've had to adapt my lifestyle in that sense. I've, I try to do different things than watching movies. I play video games, for example, instead, where I don't have to connect to the internet, or I play a musical instrument, or I try to read, or I cook. So maybe it's a healthy thing if you don't have a good internet connection because it forces you to do other things.
1: Do you feel lonely because you're offline? 200.
0: I guess I am alone a lot, but not necessarily lonely. My communication with people is when I go to work, with, with real people that is, but I can still text friends from home, so particularly because, of, because of the time difference is seven hours in the morning, I can contact people from home and in the afternoon, they all go to bed. At that point, I'm kind of alone, but I wouldn't say I feel lonely because I guess I'm, I'm pretty well connected. I I can talk to all my friends from home. There's there's never been a better time to live away from home because you can be in contact with anyone for free, pretty much, using messaging apps, video conferencing apps.
1: It sounds like you're quite enjoying this lifestyle, do you?
0: Something I ask myself every day, whether it was worth it to come here to live this lifestyle. I think after I finished my PhD, I was kind of burnt out. And I needed a bit of a break from everything. So moving to a place where I have all this time to myself has been probably a good thing for decompressing. So for now, it feels a bit like a holiday, like an extended holiday where I can focus just on myself and actually resting and recovering from an intense period in my life.
1: Are you still in the recovering
0: phase? Well, to be honest, I haven't had the time to get all the recovery that I wanted yet because obviously I'm working a full-time job, but also there's lots of administration you have to do when you enter a country as an immigrant. Before I even got here, there was the visa to to deal with. When I arrived, I had to sign up for things like a social security number and sign up for all my taxes and get a driving license, find a place to live, set up my bills. And it's not just here in the US, that I have to do all those things. It's also at home in the UK because I'm now a non-resident. I have to register for that for tax purposes. I have to make different arrangements for paying back my student loan. So all that stuff has kept me quite busy outside of work. And so I haven't had much time to just relax to myself. But now most of that stuff is sorted out. So I hope that in the months going forward, I'll be able to take some time to chill out and just enjoy myself for a while.
1: Do you feel yourself at the moment, you being you, or you feel some part of your identity shifted to another direction you never expected?
0: That's possible. So I think my identity in the UK is partly defined by the situation you're in or the people that you know, the friends that you make, the family that you have. But here I'm kind of removed from all that. So I have a chance to reinvent myself. So I'm not sure that I have actually done that yet. I guess when I'm alone so much, I have a chance to think about what I actually want from life and how much of what I do is influenced by what other people influence me to do and how much of it is inspired by things that I want to do myself. Because I'm just now gradually learning to prioritise myself more than other people.
1: At the moment, you only have you in your three-bedroom house.
0: Yes, all alone in my three-bedroom house. I think it's a positive thing to have this space to myself at the moment.
1: Do you feel a bit scared? I would be, maybe because I watch too many ghost movies, terror movies. If I would be living in such a gigantic house, I would say, like, why there are so many noises? Is this house haunted or something?
0: Sometimes I do. So, for example, last week or a few weeks ago, it was the 4th of July, which is American Independence Day, and people light lots of fireworks. They make big explosions. They'll do this not just on the 4th of July, but also the days leading up to it, because they'll have fireworks at home and they get too excited and they don't want to set them off. But they don't sound like the fireworks that you hear in the UK. They sound much more intense. So when they were lighting them, I thought someone was breaking down my front door. So that really got my heart racing when I heard the first firework, because it really it really did sound like someone was breaking
1: it. Yeah, were you concerned about the security? Or safety around your neighborhood?
0: It seems to be safe, actually. It's the kind of place where people leave their bikes, bicycles outside, unlocked, because no one's going to steal them.
1: Because no one wants to cycle there?
0: People do cycle, though. I think most people use their bike for recreation, but for me, I don't have a car yet, because that's one thing I couldn't get until I was given my driving license. So I've been using a bicycle to get around, or even just walking, but that... Imposes some limitations on myself because in this place, in the summer, it gets very hot. So if I wanted to walk to a supermarket, for example, I can only do that first thing in the morning. Because if I go after 8am or 9am, then it's just too hot to be carrying bags full of groceries back. But also it means not having a car that I can't travel outside of the city. So my experiences are kind of limited to going to work, going to the grocery store and occasionally going to local bars or restaurants. But it would be good to have a car one day so I can visit all of the national parks and cities around here for a bit more of an experience of the US.
1: Do you find many vegetarian places in the little town you stay?
0: There are very few vegetarian options when you go to restaurants in this place. So I've ended up having to start eating meat again a bit more regularly just because if I go out with friends or colleagues, then there is no other option than to eat meat, which is kind of annoying because I don't really want to eat meat, but also I have to eat something when I go out for dinner with people.
1: Yeah, that's annoying. What about other cultural differences you feel? We would think a Britisher wouldn't feel such a big difference.
0: That's true in some sense, I guess mostly because the languages are so similar. There's still a difference between American English and British English. So I find myself translating words and sentences that I use, like back garden or backyard. I mean, the the one that frustrates me the most is chips and fries, because in the UK we would have chips, which are fried potatoes, which are French fries, I guess. But if you ordered chips at a restaurant in the US, they'll bring bring you a bag of what I would call crisps. So sometimes I've been disappointed because I ordered chips and got crisps that's not what I wanted.
1: Would people appreciate your British accent?
0: I think it stops people from understanding me right away because they're expecting an American accent. So often I'll have to repeat myself because people won't have understood what I said the first time.
1: That's interesting. Would it happen the other way around? Is an American trying to talk to you and you're like, what? Can you understand the wonder person?
0: I think American English is easier to understand globally just because there's so much television that comes out of America. So many people are familiar with the American accent because they've seen it on TV all their lives.
1: There's another question popping to my mind is because you have a lot of international friends and when you were local and you saw them struggling with adapting to UK culture or their studies... And now you're in their shoes. Is there anything that you realised after your experience of moving to US? This is not proper English, but you get what I mean.
0: <laughs> I get what you mean. It's true. I met a lot of people who came from all over the world to study in the UK. I always admired them for doing that, particularly because many of them came to a place where the language that was spoken wasn't their native language. So for me, I guess I have a bit of an easier experience because at least... My native language is the language that's spoken here, but I do see the challenges of inserting yourself into a new culture and just setting up a new life for yourself. It's it's quite hard to start from nothing. I feel like I'm a more confident and more resourceful person now. I feel a bit more like an adult, to be honest. I feel like I'm more responsible. PhD didn't feel like much responsibility though. I mean, now I'm having to deal with all these tax issues signing contracts and getting driving licenses and that sort of thing. It all feels very official and it's something I haven't had to do for a long time.
1: So what would you say to someone who has never moved to another country? Any suggestion?
0: Say so don't do it.
1: Don't do it?
0: Well, in some sense, yeah, but other sense, there are, there are positives and negatives, let's say. So the positives are that it's a chance to develop a new identity for yourself if you feel like you need that. There's a chance to maybe experience a culture that you're interested in. But on the other hand, you're making a bit of a sacrifice by moving away from the place you have lived in. So for me, that sacrifice is because I have had a big network of friends and family in the UK. And I do feel that I'm missing out on those relationships now because time moves on and people get on with their lives. So for example, some of my friends have been getting married while I've been away or going to have children while I'm away and I'm going to miss out on all of those celebrations in life by being here and you don't get that time back so when I go back to the UK it may be that you know dynamics have changed and I'm not as close to some people as I used to be so I do definitely feel like I've sacrificed things by being here and as I mentioned before um, I feel like I came here partly for A relaxing experience to decompress after my PhD, but I haven't had a chance to do that yet just because of all the administration. I've had to deal with being a new immigrant while working a full-time job and trying to furnish a house and everything. I hope that will change soon, though. I think I'll have time to relax now that most of the hard work is done.
1: I was wondering what would change inside you in the next, let's say, one year or two years?
0: I actually have no idea. And I guess it's for the people that I know at home to decide. So when I go back, they may see that I'm a completely different person. Because yeah, as you say, you don't realize the changes happening day by day because you're living the life.
1: Maybe I can interview you again in like one or two years time and let's see what changed or what hasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe I've decided to stay here for longer than three years. Maybe I'm staying here for the rest of my life, but who knows?
1: Wow, okay, okay. We we <laughs> we put this here. And we'll look back onto it in Looking one or two years' it. time. Yes. Well, thank you very much for the time. And I say goodbye to our audience.
0: Okay, goodbye, audience. Thanks for having me, Zoe.
1: <laughs> Bye.